somebody might ought to mention to Bud that this is a Baptist church. Don't give him a microphone. <laughs> well, it's good to be here today. Glad you uh, braved the rain. And uh, that's, you know, that's right up there with being stoned at Lystra. And uh, so glad you made it through the rain to be here. Our text comes from Revelation 13. And verse 18. Revelation 13 and verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man... And his number is 666. John is writing, when you read the first chapter, you get this in Revelation 1-4. He's writing to seven churches in the first century. And they were going through persecution, tribulation. In fact, John is writing from the island of Patmos where he's been exiled. By, by Nero and he says that in Revelation 1-9 he says I John your brother and companion in the tribulation he's already in tribulation this first century church is already in tribulation and persecution in fact uh, we would say the book of Revelation like other books in the Bible, is plugged into its own background and history. And there you find you get a lot of the the meaning. There's persecution. There's civil unrest. There's martyrdom. And Rome ultimately in 70 A.D. turns on Jerusalem itself and comes in and destroys her. Tears down the temple stone by stone. So it is a chaotic first century. And the book of Revelation is written within that context. And it's highly symbolic. If you've read it at all, you may wonder at the seven lampstands or the lamb with seven eyes or the dragon with flood coming out of its mouth, locusts that sting like a scorpion, uh, bowls full of the wine of the wrath of God, a, a harlotrous woman riding a beast, a city coming down out of heaven. Uh, just It's full of highly symbolic Images. Probably uh, the most well known may be right here in our text. Calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. 
Now, John is Jewish. And actually, according to Galatians 2.9, he's sent to the Jews. Paul was sent to Gentiles, but John is very uh, Jewish-oriented. And the Jews knew that the number six was a numerical reference to man. And when you read through the Old Testament, for example, in Genesis 1, man is made, he's created on the sixth day. In Exodus 20, he is, to, he is given as his assignment to labor for six days. The seventh belongs to God. In Daniel 3.1, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar made an image of a man. And he made it 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. Goliath, you know who Goliath was, he was six cubits tall. He's supposed to be the peak of manhood. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus was crucified for mankind on the sixth day of the week, Friday. And that he died on the sixth day, according to John 19, 14, at the sixth hour, or he was crucified at the sixth hour. The number six is woven through the Old and New Testaments as a numerical equivalent of man, generically speaking. But this is a number that's not just one six. It's three sixes. So what do we see in this? Well, three is the number four. And some of you all will already know this. We're familiar with the number for God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When the Bible describes God, it's often in a threefold superlative. As in holy, holy, holy. Or Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Threefold. Typical of deity. And the Jews had set prayer times. You're not surprised then if we're praying to God, we have three prayer times. Psalm 55, 17, morning, noon, and night. And of course... This could go on. Matthew 2.11, when the wise men brought Jesus, who was God in the flesh, gifts, they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So it's six, the number of man. But it's not just man. It's three sixes. It is man trying to, to be God. It is man raising himself by self-promotion, by his own will, to displace the God of heaven and the God of the Bible. Now I noted that 
when it, the Bible, when Revelation describes Jesus, Revelation 5, 6, he says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. That is, seven horns, all powerful, and seven eyes, all knowing. That's Jesus. He's a seven. But whoever this guy is, he's a six, trying to be God. And every attempt, he falls short. So in 666, you have, with the number six, the number of man. Made the sixth day. Uh, Jesus died for man on the sixth day of the week, the sixth hour. You have a man wanting to be God. Wanting to act like God. Wanting to think his own thoughts, create his own world. And if you'll remember... When Satan came to Adam and Eve, especially to Eve, in the first, the very first temptation, what did he say to them? Genesis 3, 5. God knows, he pointed out the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and he says, God knows the day you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll define what's good and evil. And the, the, the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. It's the exact word used in Genesis 1-1 when it says in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So he says, if you eat this, if you declare your independence from God, you'll be your own God. You'll decide good and evil. You'll make your own way in the earth. And you will be self-determined, self-made man. So this is something of the background for why John would use 666. Why use it though at all? Why not just say man's trying to be God? Well, he may be trying to get the, the letter to these churches off the island of Patmos. The Hebrew Christians, in reading this, they would be able to decipher 666. But the censors who would look over those letters, they wouldn't have a clue. So maybe he's just trying to get it off the island. Maybe he's protecting the churches that he's writing to so that they don't become identified as places of riot and revolt. But I think also, it actually meant a name that they could identify here in this first century. Because what did he say? Okay, you got to have understanding, you got to pause and think about this, but calculate the number. Calculate the number. Do the math. That's what he would be saying. Now, in the graffiti in Rome, in fact, uh, uh, all over the, the cities of the first century, the 
they used what was called a cryptogram. It, we don't do it today so much, but it was common in the first century. A cryptogram is like a, they, they had one that they discovered, and I, you can, I saw it on uh, Google. Uh, I love her whose number is 545, and it was scrawled on the walls of Pompeii. It was graffiti, and they would use numbers as the equivalent of letters, and letters as the equivalent of numbers. For example, if you saw a Roman numeral 5, that's also a V. They serve both purposes. Or an I is also a 1 in Roman numerals. So they would use these cryptograms. By the way, I made my own up. I love her whose number is 10, 1, and 19. You know what 10 is? If you, if you do the equivalent A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you get to the 10th one, you come over. That's a J. And one is a what? A. And if you go down A, B, C, D, so on to number 19 is an N. I love her who is 10, 1, 19. Ta-da! You figured it out. So he says, calculate the number. Do the math. Because it's the number of a man. Now, if you go back to the first century and you take 666 and put it into that first century numerical form, it will spell out Nero Caesar. But he did it under the guise of numerology. And those who knew their Bible and somebody in the congregation also knew graffiti, they would be able to say, oh, you know what? That's Nero. It's a number of a man. But he's writing to those seven churches, so it had to be somebody that he's warning them about. He's telling them about him. So he's actually doing something quite brilliant here. John is accomplishing several things at once. He's putting together the symbols of the Old Testament so you see it as man attempting to be God. He's also using the graffiti of the day and identifying the person they must be warned about and also secreting it off the island. It's a brilliant flashpoint of the Holy Spirit. Now let me say a word about Nero. He's called a beast here in Revelation 13. And he was. He would, uh, he would dress, he would kill, have a huge animal, a bear or a lion or something killed, and then he would dress himself in the skin of that beast. And they would put him in a cage, and then in the Colosseum, he would actually come out of the cage 
and kill people in the Colosseum. So he was called a beast by his own countrymen. He killed his wife by kicking her to death when she was pregnant. He killed his brother. He killed his own mother. He sent her out in a boat ride with the boat so that it would come apart once they got in the middle of the lake. He killed his close friends. And he took a young teenager named Sporus, had him castrated, and married him in a public ceremony. He was a character. He persecuted the church from 64 to 68 AD and was the first state title holder in history to persecute Christ's church. In so doing, by the way, Peter and Paul were both killed under Nero. In so doing, John lays it out there. Nero, Caesar, first persecutor of the church, named 666, a man trying to be his own God, is the prototype of Antichrist. It's the, he's the prototype. He's the pattern of an antichrist. Persecutor, self-willed, self-exalting, self-promoting. If you want to know what antichrist looks at, looks like, look at Nero in the first century. Revelation 13, this same chapter, he was allowed to make war on the saints, verse 7. He was given authority for 42 months to do it, verse 5. He was called a beast, verse 1. He required worship, verse 4. This is all Nero. He called himself the sun god. Those who approached him must bow and worship. So whether it is Hitler in Germany or Stalin in Russia or Mao Zedong in China, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, or even someone in our own government, when their whole theology is missing, there's this great gap, except their own will, their own thoughts, their own humanity. And they set themselves up above all that is called God. They are 666. They are like Nero, the prototype. And they have reproduced him in the earth to an extent or a degree that the people permitted. Now, what are the characteristics? With the time that I have left, let me just try to be more specific here, but what are the characteristics by which we may identify 666? Local government, state government, federal government. What are, who, who do we know that wears a 666 in their philosophy and perspectives? It's not a number on their forehead. It's the brains, it's the thoughts within their head. 
So here is the, here's three characteristics. Number one, self-will, not God's will. I will decide. See, you go ahead and eat this. You, God knows he doesn't want competition. He knows you will be as Elohim, knowing good and evil. You'll know what's best for you. Self-will, not God's will. In describing Satan in Isaiah 14, 12, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount. I will ascend above the heights. I will make myself like the most high. You see, how many times he say, I will? I will, I will, I will, all the way up. And God says, no, you won't. Down you go. How different from Christ who prayed in the garden, not my will, thine be done. Satan's the original Antichrist. Nero is the prototype. And boy, I don't think there's only one of them. They pop up throughout history with the same self-will as found in Satan himself. Self-will. Not only self-will, but self-help. Not God's help. We do it as people. We're in it together. This is... this. We're the ones who will get it done. Not God's help, self-help. If it's to be, it's up to me. CNN's Chris Cuomo, uh, the seventh of this month, he closed a recent program on CNN by saying, And I'm quoting here. I went back and looked at this to make sure that uh, I got the context, the nuance. I wanted to make sure what he said. And here's, here's a quote. Cuomo says, We don't need help from above. And he was pointing upward. Instead, it is within us. We just need to believe in one another. Hey, you know what? You can believe in me. I'll just bring you right up out of that grave and take you right to heaven when you die. Yeah, I'll do that. Only thing is, who's going to take me to heaven? Who's going to bring me out of the grave? It takes God for you to have eternal life. He said, it is within us. We just need to believe in one another. That would make things better for the country. Self-help not God's help. Well, how about this verse? John 3, 27. A person cannot receive, according to John the Baptist, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. 
How about that? And here's Jesus in John 15, 5. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said that. Uh, Mr. Cuomo, what do you think about what Jesus said? I think I'm going to go with Jesus over Mr. Cuomo. Is that all right? Can I get an amen? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us even the air we breathe and makes the cells in our body function and the morsels we eat nourish our body. That comes from the spirit of the risen Christ. And if Mr. Cuomo can be so bold as to go on television and say we don't need God to do anything from above, then I want to be so bold as to come to you this morning and tell you we not only need God, we need Him for everything we do, every second of every day, and every day of every week, and every week of every month, and every month of every year, and every year in which you exist on the earth. May I be so bold. covers us with the mantle of mercy every morning and we should cling to him in fact uh, and I don't have this on the screen but here's a verse for you James 1.17 every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. What blasphemy to say we don't need help from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Self-help, not God's help. That's a mark of the beast. It's a wearing of 666. Now, obviously, it's not as in the extreme. But nonetheless, if you look closely, you'll be able to see it. 666, there it is. Antichrist. Self-will, not God's will. Self-help, not God's help. And the final one, self-rule, not God's rule. Self-rule. We will decide our own destiny. There was in Seattle some time ago, y'all probably saw this on the news, but a, a group of protesters took over downtown Seattle and declared it an autonomous zone. Now, do you know the word autonomous? Auto is self. It's the Greek word for self. Like automobile, self-propelled. That's what that means. Nomos, nomus, is law. 
autonomos, self-law, self-rule, autonomy. And so they declared downtown Seattle in sections, they, they, they curtailed it and said, this is an autonomous zone. Now I'm doubting the Bible was very central in that autonomous zone. Do we have that? Yeah. That's the picture that, was, that they put at the front when you go downtown. Preachers tried to get in and were kicked out. Why? Because there's a kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, and their response was, we will not have this man reign over us. We're autonomous, self-rule. Most of us would say, you know, I fail following my king many times. But no Christian will say, I do not want Jesus as my king. Only by the Holy Spirit can we call Jesus Lord. But listen to 1 John 2, 18. 1 John 2, 18. Listen to this verse. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Many of them. They're all over the place today. Many Antichrists have come. You've heard of an Antichrist, a single individual, and he, when he comes, he will just be all this and more. But don't miss all the Antichrist that's already out there. Self-will, self-help, self-rule. They bear 666 as clearly as the final Antichrist who will embody all resistance to God and His Son. And may God save us from all antichrists. Let's stand one more la one last time as we close out. We are dependent upon God. We need God's help from above as every good gift comes from above. So let's sing this song one last time. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies.
of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. And up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. And we want to send you on your way this week. Under the favor and blessing of God, may you go in peace. We hope to see you again next week. You all are dismissed.